I'm Elena Salinas, and this is the Women in Tech Show, a show where women in tech talk about technology. Today's guest is Shua Khan, Senior Linux Kernel Developer at Samsung. The Linux Kernel is one of the biggest open source projects in the world, and it is used by devices that we interact with on a daily basis. Shua explained what an operating system kernel is and how the Linux kernel is architected to support different types of devices. Shua also talked about how quality is ensured, how tests are run, and the process of contributing to an open source project. In a project of this magnitude and with contributors from all over the world, it is important to have a consistent and effective process in place. I really enjoyed this conversation and I learned a lot by talking to Shua. If you have any feedback on the show, you can leave a review on iTunes or send me a tweet at Tech Women Show. Shua Khan, Senior Linux Kernel Developer at Samsung, is joining us today. Shua, welcome to the Women in Tech Show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. For over three years, you have been working on the Linux kernel development. What is an operating system kernel? Operating system, in the way I look at it as a uh, resource manager on a um, in, on any any kind of system. It could be phone, it could be a embedded uh, Raspberry Pi or a laptop or a desktop or a large uh, NUMA system. What it does is it uh, initializes the hardware to make it available. For example, when you uh, boot up your laptop, you would want your screen working, your keyboard working, and audio working. All of that it sets up. It works with the firmware system firmware on the uh, laptop and interfaces with it to initialize different pieces of hardware and to make it available to the user. That's how I look at it. What are specific main components of a kernel? There is always the architecture part of the kernel. Um, that is, uh, if you are using a ARM system, for example, it will be the architecture component of the kernel that um, um, is specific to the ARM architecture, x86, the same way. And, and uh, the big pieces are large pieces would be memory management, process management, scheduler. Those are the really the big pieces. And a large part of the Linux kernel is drivers also, if your keyboard driver, mouse, and screen, and whatnot. Why was the Linux kernel created initially by Linus Trovals? He started it out as a, a student project when he was uh, doing his master's in, I believe, Helsinki University. And he wanted to have, uh, um, he wanted to have an operating system running on one of the uh, system, I believe AT&T System 5, small Hard, uh, the, on that hardware, he wanted to have something running. So he, once he had that going, he wanted to uh, share it with others so that he can uh, get feedback from them. 
it it hasn't let me let me rephrase that it hasn't started as a with a big goal of making it as big as it is today it started as a small project and he wanted to share and get feedback from others and it just mushroomed from there and others took it and then they started using it because it's a it's an open source he wanted to he requested that if people have changes they can contribute back to him so he started taking those changes and incorporating so it started to grow big and started to get supported on lots of different systems and initially you said the motivation was because he needed an operating system for a particular device correct correct and earlier you mentioned that a big component of the linux kernel are the drivers support and the linux kernel supports very different types of devices for example routers wireless access points computers and there are many others how does supporting different devices affect the design of an operating system kernel that's a good question um there's two components to it it is um it it not only supports a large number of systems like for example phones and uh, routers like you mentioned and very small embedded systems like raspberry pi as a result what happens is you have a wide range of use cases as well as operating environments like for example you will have a very small memory footprint for example or a large system with um, 128 cpus so what it takes is uh, a la- large we do have to keep that in mind as developers and all of our um, the code linux code is structured such that you will have uh, layered common code that runs is spec- that can run on all systems and then also we have several config options that we on a small system for example you would not want um, uh support for large number of cpus you can drop it down and we configure things out and in features um to be able to support on support large uh, not just systems uh, architectures as well we support 33 architectures so that makes it also so we have architectural hooks that go into from common code so pretty much the same we strive to have the common code as a large portion of the kernel running where are those config options or thresholds specified for example if i if i have a small device with limited memory is that specified once the os is installed in the device the, the those constraints or is that just automatically handled because of the the hardware itself is limited now you do have to configure so the usually the way it works is uh vendors uh, like for example i have uh, um rpi for example debian um and distros uh, give out a kernel that runs on that a distro that you can install and they will provide the image that you can boot up and install the rest of the infrastructure like for example the base kernel plus you have user uh, components file system and root root file system and so on once you install that you can configure the kernel uh, to uh, enable certain features so the way you would do that is you there is a kernel config file 
the, you can uh, tweak that config file using tools and enable certain features. For example, if you were to enable, say, I want to be able to do audio, you have a new audio device, for example, you'll go in and you'll say, oh, is my audio um, device supported? So you could go and enable that particular driver in the kernel configuration. So in summary, what it takes to support different devices, first of all, is the architecture of the project and the code by having several layers, a common layer that can run in all devices and very specific layers for other types of devices, in addition to config options prior to installing it. Correct. So some distri distributions like, say, Ubuntu, um, Red Hat, and they do enable um, quite a few options. For where uh, tweaking comes in and being able to uh, reduce the footprints, de device drivers and uh, other memory options comes into play is small embedded devices. So over there, you will have to have a um, footprint that can uh, run on that particular small embedded system, for example. So that's where that comes in. And another thing that comes to play is what kind of firmware do you have on that? ACPI is one of the base uh, firmware layers that provides in interface, interface between operating system and uh, the firmware, the BIOS. And uh, the other thing is ARM. Um, that is a, another component, which is device tree. So even that layer, a lot of the drivers, the challenge is to have the drivers run on multiple architectures. The way that works in Linux kernel is uh, we even abstract that layer where, where drivers don't have to know which kind of firmware they are dealing with. Are they getting configuration information from um, a, on, from a ARM interface or ACPI? So a large extent, we keep evolving it as we keep getting, uh, we have to support new devices and new hardware. You work at Samsung, and at Samsung, your focus is the Linux kernel. What sparked your interest in working on the Linux kernel project? I have been a kernel engineer forever. Um, I have I worked on proprietary kernels um, at HPUX, and HPUX is the, at HP. And then I uh, migrated into doing open source work um, 10 years ago. And on Linux and doing middleware work on open source projects such as OpenHPI and such. And then I started to get more and more into doing kernel work, uh, Linux kernel work specifically. And then I uh, started to do a lot of freelancing work, meaning on my own time. And then after I joined open source group at Samsung, that was three years ago, um, since then, my full-time uh, job is uh, upstream kernel, and then also helping Samsung uh, internal engineers to understand open, open source, and then also be able to work with open source. So I do a lot of mentoring uh, internally and mentor engineers internally to be successful in open source. And did this work start on the job or, for example, were you familiar already with this area when you were in school? I specialized in uh, operating systems uh, for my master's uh, when, I, when I have master's. So I do have operating systems background. After that, um, I worked at various places uh, before uh, Samsung 
working on various kernels, real-time kernel um, at uh, Lucent. That's a that's a, it's a vertical. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with verticals. At back, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, companies did their own hardware, firmware, everything in-house. And that evolved into taking components and Linux was a big part of that, has started a trend where Linux would be a part of the vertical, whereas um, it would run on off-the-shelf components, right? So there is a migration from verticals to all in-house tightly coupled verticals to being able to use off-the-shelf um, components. So yes, I have um, um, operating system background and then I have worked in kernel space for a very long time doing HP, um, HP's uh, Unix for a while. And then uh, uh, at HP, when I was at HP, that's when I um, started working on open source projects and which uh, I really like being in open source. And so I made, I made a switch to uh, being totally in open source. And we'll get to talk about open source in a bit. Just one more question that I'm curious. Currently, Samsung has a dedicated team for working on the Linux kernel. And you mentioned earlier that in the past, it was more common to have proprietary kernels. In what ways is the Linux kernel related with Samsung? Does this affect how their equipment is designed? Or what is the importance of having a team working on the Linux kernel at Samsung? That's a good question. Um, at Samsung, um, we use Linux in large number of products. We have been doing that for the past probably 15 years. We wanted to be able to, at Samsung, realize there is an advantage to being using open source um, projects such as Linux for their products. So it's easier, time to market is easier, it's quicker to get, uh, because it, the, it's a, being a large project, um, you have a large team, not necessarily your small team that's working on your proprietary, uh, proprietary operating system. So you have you can leverage community effort in fixing bugs, adding features, and so on. For example, say uh, Samsung is using an ARM device in their uh, products, and ARM, if that is also used in by large number of the community, then you are getting a lot of the features, a lot of the advantage of uh, maintenance, bug fixing, and also being able to develop features quickly in a collaborative fashion. So that is a big advantage for Samsung. And when they are using that, they realize that they do, all, they wanted to also contribute back to the community that they are taking from. So that's the effort for uh, starting the open source group, the motivation behind starting open source group that they started three to four, three years ago. We've been talking about open source and some of the benefits of open source. What is the open source community like for a project like the Linux kernel? We are a large community. We tend to have at, uh, anywhere from six to 10,000 developers um, all over the world. The way, uh, do you want to at this time get into development? Uh, how do we develop? Would that be, okay. Right, so this is a large, uh, probably the largest 
distributed project, um, you know, open source project that is distributed around the globe. So we have uh, contributions coming from um, all over the world, really. And, and the way we collaborate is all over uh, email. We have uh, um, patches. We make small incremental changes. That is our goal. So every single change is a small fix is a small change. So that's how we start. So all of these changes come in as patches, patch submittals. And it goes through reviews because each area has a set of reviewers that, a set of developers, anybody can comment on the code. It, it, it is not just the maintainers. We have a concept, we, we have a hierarchical uh, development model in some sense. Linus Torvalds at the top, he's the gate, main gatekeeper. Nothing goes through without his approval. He relies on several maintainers and sub-maintainers in each of the um, subsystems. Memory management, process management, this we, we have, and each driver sometimes has a maintainer in some cases. And then all these patches code coming in gets reviewed and then rerun in many cases. Um, if uh, comments to address code comments or design comments, we do all that. And then Finally, once that is done, maintainers take that and put it in a common um, git um, repos that get tested continuously. Our testing is continuous testing and integration model. How small do the changes have to be? Can you give an example of a small change? There is no rule on how small a change should be, but it is, should be self-contained. Each patch that goes in, it could be just one line change, for example. Uh, it could be as small as that, or it could be five lines of change. But each change should be self-sufficient. If it is dependent on others, each patch should build and run on its own, meaning you're making incremental changes. It doesn't mean that is, uh, uh, features cannot be dependent on each other. They can be. You just have to order uh, the changes in su such that they all build independently. And then we send out sometimes patch series, which we call them a dependent patch series. So we number them one through five, or some of them range one through 20 in some cases, depending on the complexity of the feature and how many architectures does it touch. For example, if we were to change a, say, um, DMA, Operations are one of the very low-level things that affects a lot of um, subsystems and drivers. So we end up making changes in a patch, large patch series. Large set of small changes is one way to look at it. How are the guidelines for design and patterns enforced at a big open source project like this one? It all, we have coding standards and guidelines and how to submit patches. It's all part of the source code. We, um, do, under documentation directory in our source code, we uh, let developers know what is acceptable and what is not. And also design decisions are somewhat evolutionary. There are some of the designs are already set. Like for example, you're fixing something. You have to follow what the code that's already in there. A new feature, for example, sometimes we do new um, interfaces and new, when a new feature gets added or a new design, all of that, everything is code. We go out, we do not do design documents. Um, it, it's not a waterfall 
uh, kind of model. We just go in and we submit code and then we evolve code. When we submit a, make a change uh, to add a new feature, for example, we add that feature, then we get comments from there. And then we uh, discuss over email and then we refine it and we kind of come to a cons consensus. We kind of converge and we get to a consensus. And then we discuss the design um, in open mailing list and anybody can give comments, experts in an area, contributors in that area. And once that is done, the author or whoever the owner of the feature will make all the necessary changes and we get to a consensus on the design. So that's how we evolve a design. And even small fixes go through a um, lot of revisions sometimes because of the because we get good comments and people will say, hey, it could be done this way. So or this is this would be better. Uh, so we even small fixes sometimes we go through iteration of patch patches. So that's how we evolve the design and it works very well. Let's talk more about the quality and testing of the Linux kernel. What are the fundamental areas that have to be tested? It is, um, it, it could be anywhere specific to a one single driver to the entire system. So the way it works is it's a continuous integration and testing um, effort that we put in. A lot of the developers, a uh, large number of developers are also users. For example, I run Linux on my system and then, on, and then I'm, uh, I'm testing as the new releases come out. Our release cycle is about a six, eight weeks cycle. That means anywhere from seven to eight weeks. So that is um, at the beginning of the cycle. It's a continuous development also, by the way. So um, Linux pulls in all the changes at the beginning of the release cycle. There is a two, two weeks, what we call a merge window. During that time, um, he pulls in new features into the, uh, into the new release. And after that, there will be, uh, and then after the two weeks, he, maintainers uh, send all their pull requests. That's what we call them. Uh, the, each uh, pull request will be, for example, for the areas I am um, I maintain, I send pull request at the beginning of the merge, uh, during the two-week merge window. And after that, no new features will go in. It will be frozen for features. And after that, we test for seven RC cycles, what we call a release candidates. Each Sunday, usually, Sunday or Saturday, we get a new release from Linus, and he will uh, keep incorporate. Once he does the first RC1, after that, it's all critical fixes and that type of thing. So the seven, we test the seven RCs and then a release comes out. That's kind of the release cycle works. And we have um, several test rings that continuously keep taking from all the Git repos we have in the, at the kernel.org, uh, pull every day and merge. We have one um, repo that merges all of the changes that will be going into. It's called Linux Next. So that gets built and tested on several test rings with um, large number of systems. Kernel CI, uh, kernel um, con con integration um, ring, and then also we have zero-day uh, testing ring. The, those are maintained by, zero-day is maintained by Intel, and then uh, kernel CI is done by 
started by Leonardo and it's maintained by by a by a developer at this point. So we do that and then so continuously building happens and stable releases come out um, once a roughly once a week based on once uh, say um, currently released one is 4.9 so we are in the stable release phase for that. So just now I'm today I'm testing a stable uh, RC that came out on my systems so to make sure to let the stable maintainer know that it's looking good. So that's kind of how it happens. It's a developer community testing. And I saw, now that you mentioned stable kernel releases, in one blog post that you wrote, you mentioned you run three to four Linux kernel compiles in parallel. And there was also something about cross-compile tests. Can you mention what um, cross-compile tests are and why you run in parallel three to four Linux compiles? That puts a lot of stress on the system. Compilation, uh, it's hitting the file system hard, disk and file system hard, and then also scheduling because uh, when I run kernels, I do run parallel build, uh, not just parallel builds of three or four gits, but also I run it uh, with option to use multiple CPUs. So it's hitting the CPUs hard and it's hitting the disk hard and it's creating lots of um, processes and uh, tasks in the process and then also creating files. So that is a, a stress test of, it's not a full coverage test, but it will test memory management, process management, file systems heavily and scheduler, which are the critical components of the system. And this is test after the stable release, but also I assume before the release is made. And I'm curious about how the tests run a bit. For example, if I submit a patch, are there a series of tests that run with every patch, like a build verification test? Or is it mostly like if I made a change in the file system management area of the code, does it run only certain areas of tests? Or how is this at a higher level structure to run? Each, pa each patch goes through build test. Um, it's not just specific to a certain area. Developers, you, it is developers' responsibility to make sure it, the patch itself works, right? If you're fixing something, it actually fixes something. And after that, integration test is on, it's not specific to that. And we do have some specific tests. Um, Linux kernel includes um, a, a test suite, kernel self-test, which can be run. Developers write these tests to, um, to exercise certain areas like for example, they introduce a new interface. They want a specific test to not only test that interface, but also regression test existing interfaces. So we kind of have a battery of tests that do run um, and the developers run those sometimes in some cases when they are verifying the test and uh, some of the integration rings run those. So to answer your question more broadly, each patch def definitely goes through a build test. If it doesn't build, then the patch doesn't get pulled in, right? So it will get, 
it'll it'll get re rejected cross compilation comes in that's where the uh, cross compilation advantage comes in say you're making a change that might build on x86 but might not build on arm for example so you have to make sure that's where the cross compilation uh, test comes in to play what are the particular areas that you focused the most in the linux kernel project I am. Uh, uh, I focus on several areas. Currently, my main focus is um, media uh, subsystem. I have been working in the media space and then also uh, Samsung Exynos uh, area. Right now, I'm focusing on that. In the past, I have worked in the IOMMU area when I was uh, with HP, and also DMA area, power management. So I am kind of a generalist. I consider myself a generalist, and I like to work in different areas of the kernel. I do maintain a kernel self-test subsystem, and then also maintain a USB IP driver. And I actively, very actively contribute to media. Um, I have been working on uh, solving some of the resource sharing, um, media resource sharing issues at the media framework. Last question, do you remember what your first patch of the Linux kernel project was? Um, yeah, I think I removed a driver, actually. Oh, I got started, when I got started with the Linux, I started uh, working on a mainlining, Android mainlining project as my freelance project. And so at that time, I removed a driver, if I recall. I'm trying to remember what the driver was, but after that, yeah, I did other things, but yes. Well, Ashua, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking with you about the Linux kernel, and I've learned a lot by talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. Thank you, Adena.